Hey, everybody. Absolutely fantastic episode of Node Mode, which is the art and culture-focused podcast that's hosted by Node on the Nifty Network. We have Dandelion on the show, the founder of Archipelago, an art-focused NFT marketplace platform that focuses on displaying generative art pieces while still allowing users to buy and sell. We discuss the QQL project that Dandelion has launched in collaboration with Tyler Hobbs, the corresponding contest that allows creators to make submissions that could end up landing them a mint in the collection. And we talk about, you know, generative art now versus where it could be in the future, as well as Dandelion's personal collection and some of his ideas surrounding generative art. It's one of the most informative episodes of this podcast ever, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Node Mode. I am Node, and here with the one and only P.O., you are listening to the NFT podcast focused on digital art. We talk with artists, OG collectors, and the smartest people in the space about all things NFTs. We are, in fact, in it for the art. As always, nothing in this video is financial advice. We are definitely not financial advisors, and the NFT space is incredibly risky. So make sure to always do your own research. If you enjoy the content, please hit that like button, smash the subscribe, and share with your friends. And don't forget to check out our NFT, the Nifty Portal to join the community and hang out with guys like us. We have a bonus episode today, a special episode with none other than Dandelion. What a name. Uh, Dandelion is the co-founder behind several platforms, including archipelago.art and the art project that is all the buzz these days, QQL with Tyler Hobbs. Dandelion, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Dude, it's so great. First, we got to start with the name. You know, I was chatting with a buddy and he he kind of introed me or told me about you and introed me kind of in DMs. And I said, well, do I just call uh, Dandelion Dandelion? Is that how they like to be referred to? Uh, tell me about the background of this of this noxious weed slash beautiful flower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, there's there's so much to say. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a name that I, I chose while on a really transformative acid trip. Uh, oh, you know, nice. Me, okay, we're going start. straight to the acid trip. I love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, acid acid has played a very important role throughout my life on many occasions, including getting into into crypto and Web three because it was ultimately like you know I was the the first wave of Bitcoin users were like the original like uh, you know cypherpunks who are just like on like the the cryptography mailing lists that Satoshi is posting the white paper to, uh, and then the second wave of users was the Silk Road, and so that was that was that was me. Uh, but no, I, I chose the name Dandelion uh, in part. It just fit me in a lot of different respects. Uh, kind of fits different sides of myself as Dandy and Lion. Uh, I'm very fond of going where the wind blows me, you know. And I think uh, weeds are ultimately like this is this is completely a side rant. Uh, but lawns are what you get when you apply the principles of fascism to the practice of horticulture. And weeds are the resistance. You know, they are the plants where you can try to like spray them, cut them down, get rid of them, like, and they'll just show up and like thrive anyway. And you know, they're great for for pollinators. They'll like break up all these old asphalt and turn it back into soil. Like weeds are the best. They're they're the toughest, most like badass plants. And I'm happy to be one. Dude, that is such a cool background and insight. You know, like uh, I love I love the thought behind it. Definitely glad you're on node mode and not on our morning show. Our listeners there, you know, like. They can't go that deep, you know what I mean? We just we just talk simple stuff, but no, this is this is cool. They, I, they'd be on board with the acid part. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Well, that's I mean, look, you and Steve Jobs and all the other brilliant minds seem to agree, right? So, uh, you know, maybe something worth considering for sure for those that are uninitiated. 
that's pretty cool, man. So you, there's real meaning behind just dandelion. And I would also say it also feels very brandable, right? Like it's just, mm. it's just dandelion. No, I'm not going to forget that, that name, right? It's just so simple and clear. So uh, I do have high recall for people <laughs> with my yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, it's genius in every way. So no, that's awesome. Okay, so we one thing we love to do is whenever there's a an a, a, a gallery that's associated with one of our guests, we always like to just jump in and look at their, you know, look at what they like collecting. And I threw one in the chat uh, for Pio here, and it's it. I, I I took a look, and man, you've got a nice, beautiful, succinct gallery you've created of generative art. Um, tell me, let's start there. Why do you like generative art in the first place? Why do I like generative art? Uh, I'll say just as an aside with the gallery, I really need to spend some time with it and figure out how I want to display it. Cause there's, there's so much more than what I've put there. It's just like, I kind of occasionally like look on like add another little section. Yeah. Um, if this is the start, man, I can't wait to see the full thing. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. That was such a low key flex right there. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I really got to put more time into this gallery. You know, I only have a really. few archetypes and squiggles and ringers <laughs> and meridians in there. It's just oh a few. <laughs> wow. Oh boy. I don't even think I have my Fidenzas in this gallery though. So I think this is what I mean when I say like, I just like have not really, I, I need to, I need to do it a little more systematically. I just occasionally I'm like, oh shit, I've got, like, these meridians are really cool. You know, put them up there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do I love about generative art? You know, <clears throat> uh, so much. I think that for me, one of the things I'm really passionate about is the beauty of nature uh, and the way that this like natural world has evolved from apparently simple rules to produce a like endless smorgasbord of novelty and complexity and beauty and like unexpected, the unexpected. Uh, and that I, I see that show up in natural life. And you also, you can just like go to, uh, you know, you can go to like a park and just look at the boulders and like look at the endless like detail within them and like where the patches of moss are. Uh, and I think that for me, what I love about generative art is that we're kind of exploring and in some ways like reproducing some of the emergent potential of nature. Uh, and so for me, it's really all about the emergence. Uh, and like, you know, for example, like just like a, a little detail here uh, with the archetypes, which you're screen sharing, uh, there are... I mean, it's a wonderful collection. I really love archetypes. I really like the play of like order and regularity and chaos. I think that for me, thinking as an engineer, it really resonates. Uh, but then you once again have the emergent properties where like uh, uh, Chettle Golid did not code in the idea of having monochrome archetypes, like this uh, green one in the lower left or the kind of gray blue one in the center right. Uh, and it's just an emergent trait that some of these use only one color from the palette and they're like super striking and like distinctive and like surprising in themselves. Uh, they're some of the most like recognizable outputs in the algorithm. Uh, and so it's that, it's that potential for, uh, surprise in generative art, uh, and the potential that something will happen that like nobody, including the artist really saw coming, uh, is, is what I think makes it so compelling. I love that. So, yeah, define define emergence for for those of us that are that are uh, a little bit lesser IQ than you, good sir. Uh, you know, I think in this case, it's a lot of just <laughs> choosing which books to read. Uh, emergence is it's actually a concept that came out of systems theory, which is that when you have complex systems, you will start to have behaviors that emerge from it that are not obviously like encoded by any of the specific rules. Uh, and an example of this might be like weather systems, right? Uh, if you think about the the actual mechanics of like, I don't know, Brownian motion and fluid dynamics, uh, you might not imagine things like typhoons or thunderstorms. 
uh, or all the different kinds of clouds that will emerge. And so the way in which by, by having this complex system, you just have all of this behavior that uh, is emerging from the interactions of different parts in a way that you can't necessarily like pin down to a specific component. Uh, and then if we look at, uh, if we if we want to apply it to generative art, I would say emergence tends to be when the generative artist has created a system that has got enough interacting complexity that outputs will come that nobody anticipated. Uh, and so if you scroll up in my gallery, I think that the best piece for talking about this uh, is one of the meridians at the top. I'm not sure if this is like uh, and the, the meridian in the lower center with the blue mountain at the oh, bottom. Yeah. yeah, that one is so awesome. Uh, yeah, this this meridian uh, 801, aka Starry Summit, uh, for me was a very big inspiration in terms of emergence, uh, because folks who are familiar with the meridian algorithm will know that it tends to produce these like really abstract kind of landscape esque like feel of like mountains kind of outputs, uh, but they tend to be pretty turbulent. They're often like kind of chaotic. Uh, they don't generally look at all like kind of specific realistic mountains and this one output came out where it's got a single mountain in foreground and then it's got this like beautiful uh black kind of starry night sky above and it's got a sort of like banding and density of apparent stars that really looks like the milky way at night like it feels intentional uh but then if you were to zoom up on this really closely you would see that there's no concept in the meridian algorithm of like putting stars in the sky uh it just so happens that there's white space behind the strokes and like the fill of this black region was insufficiently dense to occlude the background and that produces the visual apparent stars. Uh, and so I'd say here, the the starry night, there's no sense in which uh, Matt Delarier was like trying to produce starry nights. And so it's an emergent feature of the algorithm that these rules could intersect to produce something that feels to us like a perfect starry night. Uh, and I think that, that uh, for me, like the pursuit of emergence in generative art uh, is one of the things I, I find most uh, interesting and most motivating. That is awesome. Yeah, eight hundred one, man. That's my area code. I feel like I need to. I need to own this piece now, dude. This piece is so. It's so beautiful, though. It Good really luck, is. Node. Yeah, Good I luck. Know. How am I going to pry it away from Dandelion? That's going to be. It's going to like never happening, man. I'll just. Uh, I'll just admire it from afar, dude. This. Yeah, is, you know, you so cool. you you have my blessing. Uh, if you want to like print copies of it and like admire it. Like I, I, this is actually something I've talked with Matt about of like, can we just like find some good way of like anyone who wants uh, to like have a print of it to like have it? Cause uh, I, I really like that this art is accessible to everyone. You know, it's all creative commons license generally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, thank you. I very well maybe may do that. I actually just, I, I was telling PO, I just lost this bid on a piece and uh, the artist had the prints available to, to buy. And so I just bought a print, you know, to console myself and uh, should be getting here any day. But I love that concept of emergence. And and I think that too, I, you know, without me really realizing it, I think that is why I think uh, generative art is so beautiful, because it, there's a component of it that is, even though the artist creates the code or creates whatever system, there's a component that is chaotic, right? That's out of your control, because you can't perfectly predict what everything will look like, right? And that's, uh, I think a hallmark of a beautiful collection is when everything looks really good uh, that is produced uh, and that is the art, right? So I think that's awesome, man. Oh gosh, this piece looks great too. We're just staring at another Meridian if you're just listening and it's <laughs> all of them look so good. So, you know, bravo. How many of these did, did you pick up by the way? Is it just the, the few you have uh, in the gallery here? No, I've got a few more. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think maybe I've got I even ask that. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, so did you mint? Did you mint in the experience? Did you buy them on secondary? Uh, yeah, I, I minted and I, I collected. On, I've been collecting on secondary kind of since it launched. Uh, yeah, Meridian eight hundred one in particular was like a very uh, kind of lucky pickup by me uh, because it, it only stayed on the market for four minutes. Uh, what happened there actually oh, was man. Kevin Rose uh, was the first person to spot this one, and he like put a twenty ether bid on it. Uh, and the person who had minted it saw this 20 ether bid and was like, oh, I bet I can get a little more. So they listed it on OpenSea for 25. Uh, and my friend, uh, Andrew Batter, uh, who's actually also a, a great generative artist and like produced the Asemica or was one of the co-creators, co-artists of the Asemica series. Uh, he, he spotted that go on the market and he like put it in a chat, uh, that I would say, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to snap that. <laughs> as, nice. as as possible. snipe that one from Cairo dude adds to the story I love that yeah yeah Blockbird uh, who's another great collector he's got a lot of cool pieces like uh, the whale uh, in memories of Chilin he's, he's got really good taste uh, he later told me that he was like in the process of signing the buy transaction at the time that mine went through so it was it was a crowded 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 line to get to this mountain and I just kind of got lucky there wow dude that is so cool um Okay, so I want to I want to get into your mind when it comes to actually collecting. Uh, you know, what's your what's your thesis behind why you collect what you do? Is it is it just solely okay? Whatever speaks to you. Uh, are there other factors that enter in when you're trying to collect generative art? Um, you know, it's a combination of factors. Uh, I would say that I, I like have a couple different like uh, like perspectives on collecting generative art. And I like to act decisively when my different perspectives agree. And so one perspective is like the perspective of like beauty and wanting to find like beautiful art. Uh, and the other perspective is the perspective of like provenance and legacy and value and wanting to collect art that will retain like its value and significance. Um, for me, I've, I've really moved away from treating collecting generative art as like an investment per se in the sense of uh, I don't see accumulating capital gains as being the main goal. Like the the great pieces in my collection, I like treating them as priceless. And I kind of, for example, like uh, Meridian 801, like it's just like categorically not for sale uh, because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I kind of see it as like, I'm more like stewarding this piece to like eventually give it to some like institution that's like going to like build out, like, you know, be be a good home for it in like a very long time frame as like, you know, a, a like grail piece of early generative art. Um, but at the same time, uh, this is also kind of a game to me. Uh, I grew up playing MMOs, you know, World of Warcraft, EVE Online. They've got these complex markets. They've got tons of loot and you want to get the best loot and you want to get loot that's like, you want to like spend your resources effectively to get good loot. Uh, and so in that sense, like, you know, there have been a couple of times and I've seen collections that I think are actually quite beautiful and are also not great provenance. Uh, and so, for example, there was somebody, and I don't even remember the name of the collection, which is telling, but there was somebody who made a sort of like some works that were clearly, clearly quite derivative of Dmitry Cherniak's works uh, on Ringers and on uh, the Eternal Pump. Uh, and it was actually like, it was an inconsistent collection. It was like a little bit like buggy. It had some weaknesses, but it was, I think, quite beautiful. Uh, but this artist was not really acknowledging Dimitri, was like not like being respectful to the scene, was like just kind of like more or less taking somebody else's like concepts and presenting them as though they were his own work. 
And it's like, okay, this guy's not going to make it. There's not going to be good provenance. People who are take who are, who care about the space are not going to want to collect this. Like it's not. And then once I like talked to other people, they were they were like, oh yeah, I'm kind of trying to sell this because like it's just like not not really good vibes here. Uh, and so I think that for me, I definitely do as I'm collecting, I'm like really aware of like what are the collections I'm betting on, who are the artists and people that I'm betting on, and like do I think that these are people who are going to have meaningful like legacy and impact? Because uh, most most art gets forgotten, and the tiny slice of art that doesn't get forgotten becomes immortal. And I'd I'd much rather be collecting the immortal art. Yeah, I I love that take. Uh... So, so if we were to look at the, at, at your collection, I always like asking this mostly I'll be honest from a selfish standpoint, because I'm, I'm getting obsessed with what I'll call mid tier, only mid tier in price, not, not what I deem mid tier in, in art, but I feel like there's three, there's basically three sets that have, that have achieved escape velocity in my mind. You've got ringers, fidenzas and autoglyphs, right? Like that are, they're all, they maintain a very high price point. Archetypes are getting close. Um, but then we've got all of these collections that I think are absolutely gorgeous from Meridian. Everyone, everyone on the show is just going to keep laughing at me because I, I mentioned Meridian and memories of Chi Lin about every episode because they're like, they're just gorgeous. But I feel like there's several that are kind of hovering in that stage where they might break one way or the other uh, in terms of, you know, whether they get really big or they might, you know, you might see them kind of slowly disappear. Um what would be what would be your take on some of these other collections that are you know priced anywhere from one to ten ETH? Uh, do, which one do you feel like okay, th this one's got the potential to really you know take it to the next level and become immortal? Um, okay, so Pio, can I can I uh, show you to use Archipelago rather than OpenSea because it really is the best way to view the art? Absolutely. No. Oh yeah, baby. And yeah, by the way, so this is this is. Uh, this archipelago.art. This is yeah. Dandelions. I put it in the chat as well, P.O. So you perfect, can just snag perfect. it there. Um, this is Dandelions platform, man. And I will say, like, after looking at it, it is way more, uh, a much more enjoyable experience, like looking at the art. You know what I mean? It's like the art feels front and center. So, anyway, yeah, so if you search are. for like memories here, you can find, we also have autoglyphs. Uh, and yeah, while I keep on low key flexing, like autoglyphs, yeah, I forgot to put my autoglyph in my gallery. <laughs> yeah, nicely done, sir. <laughs> the, the I guess it's not really, it's not really low key flexing. It's just, flexing yeah, it's way. just straight. Yeah, <laughs> hey, this it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, authentic, just straightforward flex. Like here it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. The response time on the platform is incredible. As soon as I clicked on, like, it's just nice. It's better. Uh, it, I mean, I'm not a technical person, but I'm impressed with just how, you know, quickly, uh, the platform responded when I typed in memories of Chi Lin. Thank you. Yeah, we have uh, also, you know, it's always fun if you if you sort here by like highest last sale. I really, we should really put in some kind of like popularity metric here because there's, you know, like the, the you, it's hard to find the greatest pieces. Like the lion is the greatest of the memories. Uh, it's it's owned by Thomas Lynn Peterson. Uh, I forget its number, but if we're, if we're talking memories, you know. Uh, so th th as an aside, um, yeah, let's see if maybe it'll just like come up as you scroll down because it's definitely been sold, but who knows what crazy price Thomas Lynn Peterson got it for. Um, the just going going back to collections, it's interesting how like I think some collections. So I think if we were to like diff uh, archetypes versus uh, like memories or meridians, uh, something I think is really interesting is that archetypes is a project that I think is characterized by the incredible quality of the floor where 
like all oh yes there's the line great find like 808 uh memorable number two uh, you yeah. just like click on it uh this is this is another one of those like immaculate emergent grails in my mind just like the details of the roaring lion and its fangs like there's such a such a kind of a clarity to it and yeah, I think it's interesting how like, you know, archetype is not an algorithm that really has a lot of room for emergent grails. You know, you're never going to get a lion archetype uh, just because the the output is a lot more constrained, but it's constrained in a really beautiful and diverse space. Uh, and so I think that archetypes are a project that, uh, that have got like a place in the canon for being uh, extremely consistent long-form generative art. One of the first projects to kind of show like how high you can set the bar in terms of the floor. Uh, and then I would say with projects like Memories and Meridians, it's the the sort of like emergent like top slice of the algorithm that really like like earns these projects like real like spaces in the canon in my mind. Um, and there's also this interesting aside with the fact that, uh, you know, the, the charcoal meridians are so gorgeous and so rare, uh, and we could get into like a whole little side discussion of like trait rarity if we wanted to go there. Um, but as far as, as far as which projects are going to like endure, uh, I think that looking at the trajectory of the artist and looking at like the creativity and like intentionality of the artist probably says a lot, uh, and like, yeah, I think that this is where, you know, it's, it's great that the gen art space is small enough still that you can show up to events and just kind of vibe with the artists and, you know, they're all like around and pretty accessible. Uh, and I I saw a tweet uh, once, um, it was during NFT NYC, and it said something to the extent of at NFT conferences, the correct play is always to try to hang out with the artists because MFers are the vibe. And I went to NFT NYC this year and I was like, oh, that's so true. Just like all the time that I spent hanging out with artists is just like always like the most like delightful and enjoyable experience. Uh, and so I think I think that as far as like which collections are going to like make it and graduate and like stick around, I think that my inclination is one part like, okay, look what actually made this uh, stand out. Is there really like decisively like novel and beautiful art uh, or is it more just like a crowd pleaser that like, like conforms to current taste. Uh, and I feel like it's like a little bit like gauche to give examples of projects that are not going to make it. Cause like that's, that's rude to their, their artists and bag holders. So I won't, I won't try to give any examples there, but I think it's a question. It's a good question to be asking of like, what would make, what are the reasons why somebody five years from now, 10 years from now would still want to be talking about this project? Uh, and I think that there are lots of generative art projects where there are good answers to that question. Uh, and then also consider like one of the reasons that people might talk about it is because, oh shit, this is the early work of this artist who wound up to just like keep on producing bangers and like doing fascinating stuff. Uh, and I, I definitely think there are some collections where like, you know, right, that, that effect is going to kick in in a few years once the people who created it are really starting to spread their wings. I love that. Yeah. The, the way, the way you put it, it, it does make me want to definitely take a closer look at the artists themselves, right? And say, okay, what are what are they continuing to do? Um, that makes sense for sure. So while we're here on on Archipelago, tell us a little bit about the about the platform. It's just for generative art, right? That's why you created it? Yeah. Yeah. Archipelago is a NFT marketplace for generative art. Uh, and 
I mean, we're now, it's like kind of evolving, I guess, a bit towards being a platform for generative art. We're kind of like, Archipelago is still very much like finding its its journey and its destiny. Uh, it's a project that started in part with like a tweet thread about just people were fed up with OpenSea and a number of mistakes they were making. And so there was a lot of like, ah, we should like have our own marketplace for uh, generative art. Uh, and then uh, my co-founders, Ian and William and I just kind of decided to go uh, build it. Um, and as far as like finding success as a marketplace, like honestly, it's been kind of tough to break the network effects around OpenSea. Uh, like we've had weeks where there's tons of archipelago activity, but like a lot of the times, like, you know, the, just the, the liquidity is on OpenSea. So it kind of, that's self-perpetuating. Uh, so we're, we're kind of figuring out where we want to go uh, as a, as a uh, group uh, and whether we want to like double down on being in a few marketplace for existing collections, whether we want to like be involved in like creating more art. But I think that what is for sure is that we want to keep being art focused, you know, and just like, like our, our goal is to build something that we feel proud of and that the community finds valuable. Uh, and I think that building this like really like beautifully art focused, uh, NFT marketplace has been uh, a nice journey for us. And we're just going to like kind of keep on vibing and doing art. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, dude, from the art standpoint, this is a much more pleasant experience, right? <laughs> that, that, then, uh, then, then OpenSea, we, we definitely have lots of, uh, lots of thoughts there uh, and, you know, excited to see that people are actually trying to push things in the space and, and make it a nicer experience. Just one, one quick question on the platform itself. So when I, when I, when we look at all the listings here, are these, is this pulling from other marketplaces as well? Or is yeah, it just so we, here? we integrate the OpenSea data. So in the, so when it is actually listed in Archipelago, there will be a little badge uh, that's like a little A and actually none of these pieces, uh, I don't think there's a lot of like Archipelago inventory or like listings of memories. Uh, but for the most part, when these are for sale, it's actually uh, for sale on OpenSea. Nice, nice. I like that. Um, it, it, the one thing that, I, that I'll notice that I'll, that I'll mention is you do, you, you got me like when I first look at some of these, I get so excited when I see the collection because the it, it looks like the piece that's displaying for the collection and then you show the floor price i keep thinking that that piece is the floor price when when it pops up so i get like super excited i'm like oh wait this is just a placeholder and then i like jump in and then you see everything uh but it but it makes the experience overall on the platform like really nice right it's like everything looks pleasant to use so super cool i'm i'm stoked that you're that you're working on this yeah. it's an incredible um, platform uh you know i have a couple questions dandelion so you know first of all it, this is a question on the, you know, kind of digital maximalism versus I think just kind of treating the art, at, you know, as art in general. Do you have any sort of passion towards generative artwork being displayed in digital galleries and on digital frames? Or are you open to physical reproductions, whether they be prints or canvas? Canvas oh, reproduction? I, I massively prefer non-digital displays for my generative art. Uh, as I was saying in like the pre-production, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't got uh, like my my home podcasting set up properly to have massive amounts of art, which I sure you will once I like find the right space for it. Oh boy! Uh, but my my my, I've put a lot more effort into like my physical NFT gallery of like frames and prints and so forth than I have into the gallery.so. Uh, and I, I really like, I, I think generative art prints. Uh, incredibly well, you know, in most cases, uh, especially because you can scale it to arbitrary resolutions. And yep. so you can just like, and like if you were at NFT NYC and you went to the uh, the art blocks cross Samsung event and they had like, 
know, in this case, it was a screen, but they had a three-story tall, like incredibly high-resolution screen. Uh, and the art looked so good at those scales. Um, but I think that that for me, you know, uh, I'm fairly photosensitive. I don't like screens unless I really like wanted it to be a screen. And so a lot of the like digital art approaches, it's like, well, yeah, this is just way too much like blue light coming out to like want it on all the time in my living room or my bedroom or what have you. Uh, I'm really hoping for better e-ink technology uh, so that we can make, you know, especially with a project like, uh, like Chimera, uh, which are these sort of like beautiful, slowly rendered and animated um, uh, still life uh, sort of flowers. Uh, this would look so great on an e-ink display, but I don't really want screens. And so I've been tending to just go with prints when I physically display uh, generative art. Have you considered canvas reproductions for anything? Because I think some of those memories of Chi Lin or, or you know, some of those pieces in your uh, collection, I, they to me, they scream canvas reproduction with like a fine art frame or even just a floater frame. Yeah, you know, I have not, what I've, what I've mostly done is I've done regular prints and frame them. Uh, and I've done uh, these, what's it called? Uh, like vel velvet dye bond, dye bond something, vinyl dye bond. Uh, I've got these, these prints where it's like the, the print is bonded onto a metal uh, plate. And so you don't need a frame. It's just like kind of like a bold, like metal, metal plate with like the, the, it gets a sort of like glossy, like embossed texture. Uh, and I printed a lot of uh, a lot of subscapes in that fashion that came out really nicely, and I'll probably print a lot of archetypes in that fashion. Uh, I have seen memories printed on canvas because uh, actually Emily had some at one of the NFT NYIC events. Uh, Emily had produced some memories that were printed on these really large like canvas. It almost kind of felt like scrolls, I guess. Okay. Uh, and they were gorgeous. They looked so good on that material. So I, I have not I have not done any experiments with canvas prints yet, but I think that makes a lot of sense. It makes me want to like with memories. I almost want to find these like printed on different fabrics, right? And then mm. and then have them cut out and put on there. Uh, that's awesome. And I I love chimeras as well. I I own one, and I've I've been surprised that uh, the price was so low, right? That they that they didn't quite. I kind of thought they were going to be up there with with uh, you know around the ten ETH mark eventually, but uh, they haven't quite popped off. But I think they're they're really cool, and you can zoom in on these right too. And there's there's like such cool detail and yeah, like rotation. There's lots of, it's just, it seems like a very special uh, kind of collection to me that kind of hasn't had its light, you know, put out there so much. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think they're like, uh, yeah, I think that they're, they're like, they fill a clear niche. It's like really like well done. And uh, MP Cause has continued to make a lot of cool work. Uh, I really like Parnassus, which he did through Bright Moments, and he just released uh, Tectonics, uh, which is it's on a separate manifold contract. We don't like have it in Archipelago uh, at the moment, but it's a really I think it's Tectonics.app, uh, but it's a really beautiful collection that's kind of deal themed around recursion. Uh, uh, there's no H, so it's just Tectonics, like tectonic plates. Yeah, I was looking at these. I think it may have been. Uh, uh, K Dean or Chris Bennett that showed me this PO and we, yeah, they look awesome. Uh, this was recently released, right? Just, uh, yeah. in the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah these recently. are great. Um, very, very cool stuff. I just have a quick question for dandelion. You know, uh, first part of the question is, are you a believer that eventually the traditional art market will value digital art identically to the, you know, 
quote unquote masterpieces of the past. In other words, in an auction, you'll see like a Basquiat or, you know, a Picasso and then followed by a Fidenza or a Meridian. And it's not the Fidenza and the Meridian won't have attention called to them as like, and the digital art piece, but rather just a standalone art piece as if it was, you know, a masterpiece of the past. So first of all, are you a believer in that? And then second of all, if you are, how long do you think it might take for us to get to that point? Uh, First off, yeah, I absolutely think that in the perspective of time, uh, the generative art greats will be like seen as like pure pieces to the other great art of history. Uh, the fact that that's not the case right now is just like one of those like consistently repeatable little accidents of history, I guess. Uh, though since I seem to be getting away with shilling like my own pieces, uh, if you if you replace ID thirty three with ID one hundred seven, uh, there's a really cool piece that. Uh, this is just another fun bit of story because I like, uh, you know, Trill, Trill, <laughs> Trill, uh, Trill was bidding on this, uh, and I, I saw it and I wanted to <laughs> grab it as well. And when I realized that I was bidding against Trill, I was just like, oh fuck, this is going to be a ridiculous auction if he like really wants this. Like, I don't know if this <laughs> going to make any sense. Uh, and I just got really lucky. Cause I like, I guess Trill bid and then I showed up two minutes later and bid and then Trill just went AFK for 10 minutes. And then he came back to the chat and block docked being like, uh, I was like, oh, okay, cool. That explains why I got this on one bid. That, that was, uh, that was, that was a nice, uh, turnout. Um, but it's a really, it's like one of the, I think the really like distinctive pieces, uh, in this collection. And like, this is another thing for me as a collector. Like I always, I'm, and whenever I'm in a collection, I'm trying to like, see whether I can like possibly like pry away like the one to three most distinctive pieces because it's a very if you if you can get away with it it's like a very fun way to play the game uh like a lot more like bang for your ETH, <laughs> i suppose um but yeah you know I, I find it really interesting to reflect on the history of uh like impressionist art uh and it was like i think that the one one of the really striking pieces i think it's is it monet it's like the sunrise impression uh, Impression Sunrise by Claude Monet. Yeah. If you want to like, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is an incredibly, you know, uh, beautiful and like kind of stunning, like work of early Impressionism. Uh, and the initial reviews, okay, probably not the best uh, one. I, I would just maybe click on, you know, probably if you, if you go to, uh, if you go to like the Wikipedia, hopefully they will give you like a good render. It's, it's Google images is just obnoxious, isn't it? It's all like, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we need archipelago, uh, Google images <laughs> edition. <laughs> um, but the, the commentary on this was, was incredibly like scathing, like to the, to the art critics of the time, uh, it was really known what makes great art. You know, you have like a studio and you go and like map out every detail and you've got these assistants and you produce this like, you know, regal, super detailed kind of stuff that the church and like nobility like to be patrons of. Uh, and so somebody coming and just like squirting paint, paint out of a tube and just like, you know, whipping together super quickly, like an impression of a sunrise on the water. Uh, the reviews are, were like that this might be fit for wallpaper, you know, like maybe, uh, uh, but it's yeah. like, obviously wasn't art. It was like completely uh, derided by the commentary at the time. Uh, and it is this funny way in which art tends to produce cycles of being highly gatekept about like what is real art. 
uh, and then getting totally destabilized. And it's funny how many of today's like greats where the gatekeepers are like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like Monet is like, you know, incredible. And like the gatekeepers of the time thought that it was trash. Uh, and so if the gatekeepers today are like, oh, you know, generative art NFTs, these are just like collectibles for children. Let me write about how my like shiftless, shiftless millennial son, who's a good for nothing, does nothing but other than think NFTs are cool. It's like, okay, cool. That's actually like pretty bullish that like your grandkids are going to be talking about how obviously like Tyler Hobbs is one of the greatest artists of all time. Yeah, I love that. Uh, such good, good points made. So, I mean, you mentioned Tyler Hobbs. We got to talk about QQL. Uh, Pio, I want to try and share my screen. I'm very, I'm known for not being good at multitasking, but I just have to share. I just have to share my screen because. Do it. You just I, have to say words while you do it. <laughs> I, I just got to keep saying words while I do I this. You got this. Uh, let's give me, yeah, we got to, we got to have faith in me here and let's see if I can figure this out. Uh, because. I want to I want to show my my uh, your QQL my, yeah, let's my go. QQL gallery and so we got to do that so let's see if I can pull this off here and pull this up uh, is it showing Ooh. it's oh, yeah, showing buddy oh yeah that's some okay. nice pieces there wow okay so I got to show off I got to show off my pieces here um, these are I I probably went through maybe two thousand outputs uh, I almost submitted this one this one looks awesome but I ended up going with the elephant right down Ooh. here. So I just had to show off my collection because I put all, you know, I am a, what did you call it today on the Twitter spaces? Am I a, a parametric artist? Parametric is that, is artist, that the, yeah. Yes. That's the term. Okay, so yeah, for those that didn't catch the Twitter space, tell us what a parametric artist is because Node is one of them. <laughs> uh, okay, so, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just like take a step back and like talk a little bit about QQL. Yeah, sorry, uh, I got ahead of myself. Of I wanted it to be about me. Let's put it back <laughs> on QQL here. Yeah, we'll get to you. We'll get to you, I promise. We're just we're just setting the proper setup so you can appear on exactly. the stage. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, a, a while back, you know, this is this is like late last year, uh, you know, Meridian has dropped. So there's this Fidenza, Fidenza 938. Uh, and Fidenza 938, if you if you pull it up in Archipelago, it's like a, an interesting piece to look at. Um, but maybe just like, yeah, just make a new tab. And if you go to like Archipelago, yeah. Uh, Fidenza uh, which 938. number did you say? 938. 938. I got your node. Oh, you got it. Okay. Oh, but you want Fidenza. Fidenza. Yeah. There we go. Alrighty. Yeah. So if you if you just search in, if you put in the search bar, if you just put in Fidenza space nine three eight. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so this is a super weird Fidenza, right? If you've looked at Fidenzas, uh, you'll know that there really aren't any other Fidenzas that look like this. Uh, and what happened was it's simultaneously a spiral Fidenza, a micro uniform Fidenza, and a relaxed collision check Fidenza. And so these are three separate super rare traits that all like landed on the exact same Denza. And it resulted in this super like strange behavior of the algorithm. Uh, this is another one of those emergent effects that like Tyler did not know that you could get this sort of like black hole God mode style Fidenza it just like happened to be. Uh, and I was actually this, this, this piece led directly into me and Tyler getting connected because uh, I was at the time a part of a group that purchased this Fidenza and we wanted to come up with a name for it. So we were in Tyler's DMs uh, and that just kind of like kicked off like him and I talking more about generative art in general. Uh, and then you have Meridian 801, which is another like super emergent, super unexpected piece, you know, that being Starry Summit. Uh, and so 
this gave me the idea that there was really so much uh, untapped potential in these generative algorithms, so much like potential for emergence to get discovered. And we were not finding it in most cases because the way that we mint things and we just get kind of complete randomness from the blockchain. Well, you have to be really, really lucky to get something like Meridian 801. And for my part, I really wonder like if we had had the ability with Meridian 801 to really have people curating the output space, like how many more like kind of immaculately like perfect like landscapes could we have generated? Uh, and so that was the inception idea for QQL as uh, having a kind of long form generative art project where the curation is not up to blockchain randomness, but is actually up to the collectors of the project themselves exploring what's possible. Uh, and while I, I've been working, I, I have a, my own like side history of little like unpublished generative art experiments. I've never really like committed to a generative art project in the past. Uh, and I really wanted to build this. And I knew that uh, I, it would like need a really incredibly like rich and emergent algorithm to actually realize the potential of the concept. Uh, and since I already had this like conversation going with Tyler, where we had been talking about like what we liked in different generative art projects, what we thought about emergence, I was like, hey, Tyler, I have this idea for like a, a generative art project where you would publish the algorithm and anyone can fully explore it. Anyone can like find exactly like the corners that they think are most beautiful or more special uh, and then mint just that one in particular. Uh, and Tyler loved the idea. And so that just kind of started the collaboration that became QQL. Uh, and so it's kind of like, yeah, it's been a really, really just like rad journey with Tyler, like intentionally trying to set up as rich an algorithm for exploration as possible, uh, where like normally uh, as a generative artist, you need to be really worried about the floor, right? What is the worst output that could come out of this? Because somebody might mint that and every mint needs to be good. And so that forces you to be kind of cautious in a lot of decision-making that you are, are doing as you create it. Uh, and with QQL, because Tyler and I knew that it would be, you know, people like you node uh, curating the outputs, we could afford to be a lot riskier. We could afford to ask not like what's the worst output this might result in, but what's the best output it could create. Uh, and so the way I think about it is we defined this really enormous uh, generative possibility space uh, in QQL, where there's like a couple basic concepts of like, we're going to be have a flow field, we're going to put circles of different sizes in that flow field, we're going to have some rules about how the circles get laid out and how they do or don't follow the flow field. Uh, and then there will be like, you know, colors applied, but it's like a, a simple set of concepts, but We've built it so that the concepts all kind of intersect with each other and produce a really, really large space of possibility. And what we realized having created this is that the process of exploring that generative output space is itself an artistic process. Uh, and I think that this speaks to a general way in which like, as content is becoming increasingly infinite, the process of applying taste to curate that content is increasingly like a creative and artistic process. Uh, and so the idea that we have is that when you node are going and generating these QQLs and then looking at them and finding the ones that resonate for you and then asking why, and then trying to produce more that are like in that vein uh, and like going on an exploratory creative process that actually is an artistic journey. And you are a now a parametric artist exploring this generative system 
Uh, and then every mint that actually gets created is kind of a collaboration between Tyler and I having to find the algorithm and then a parametric artist exploring and finding something great. Uh, and so that is the, the, and to actually, I need to find who it was that tweeted this uh, and just like retweet them and signal boost them. But somebody uh, in in just like my Twitter comments was like, would you call this a generative system where there are parametric artists? And then I was like, oh, that's actually exactly what we should call it. <laughs> cool. Sometimes crowdsourcing that information can can get you the best result. It almost reminds me, it's not exactly the same, but it reminds me of hip hop producers sampling 70 soul records. It's not exactly the same, but that's another just example of when, you know, there's a, a section of a song that's curated by the producer. And then the, the difference is they then turn it into their own unique piece and, and actually manipulate it. But I agree with you on the curation front. Curation it's becoming very robust because like you said, infinite content. I had never third heard uh, thought of that before. Like in the digital world, we have infinite content versus in the physical world, there is, you know, kind of a finite amount. So I love that description, Dandelion. Yeah. I call this one, the city, by the way, that we're looking at here. Mm. You can see that it's, it's just so funny because it's uh, all I did was click buttons, but it just, it feel it's so fun. I mean, I've been chatting with Kadeen almost every day. We just send each other, uh, these are outputs, right? And it is just, it's a very fun experience uh, from my side because I get to pretend like I'm a generative artist. All I got to do, you made it easy for me, right? Like <laughs> you made all these buttons and then I and then I click them and it's easy. Uh, and then we look and we get to curate what we like best, you know, like this one's, this one's called the road to eternity, right? Mm -hmm. There's that one. And then uh, I've got, oh, which one was it that I called the smile? Yeah. Oh yeah. This guy, creepy, creepy smile guy. Mm -hmm. Uh it's just so, I mean, this is just so fun and messing around with the site. Um, and, and for those that are unaware, so, so here's what's really cool. So that not only do I get to pretend like I, I don't get to pretend I am a parametric artist. Uh, the, the, uh, if you're, if you're, if you are the one that finds the, the piece, if I'm right, Dandelion, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you get 2% of the, uh, mint royalties, uh, the royalties ongoing, if that is part of the official collection. Is that correct? Yep. So for any QQL that gets minted, uh, you know, as, as is a convention in the NFT space and one of my favorite conventions about the NFT space, there's, there's royalties to the artist on secondary sales. Uh, and so our view is that with each minted QQL, whoever it was that found that seed is one of the artists. Uh, and so we've written into the smart contract that the I mean, the, the contract can't enforce the royalties, but it can kind of inform like OpenSea and Archipelago and other markets uh, what the intended royalties are. Uh, and so there is a 2% of all secondary proceeds uh, royalty that flows back to the parametric artist. Uh, and so for example, note if like you were to mint the smile and it trades hands a bunch of times on every secondary sale, you would get 2%. Yeah, I think that's so cool because you, you really are treating us like we're like we're partners, right? Which is cool because we did the we're doing the curation, right? Uh, and yep. so it's kind of part of the process. Uh, and 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 the way that it's going to drop, if I is you're going to have, I think it's 999 total mints, right? And mm -hmm. nine of them are going to be given away to winners of your favorite outputs, the based on a panel of judges, not Dandelion or Tyler Hobbs, uh, but a different panel of judges who we don't know who they are. Yep. yet do we are you going to tell us afterward uh, 
Yeah, we'll they're, they're, we'll okay. reveal the judges once uh, once season. We just wanted to save them from having their Twitter DMs be just like oh, they would just get. Ex- I can <laughs> only imagine. Yeah, that was a good move on your part. So nine are going to get given away, and then mm-hmm. nine hundred and ninety mint passes are going up for Dutch auction on on Wednesday. Um, and the way that it works is it's a, a regular Dutch auction, but at the end of the auction, the uh, whatever the lowest bid was, right? The last person to actually uh, get a mint pass, everyone else will end up paying that same amount, right? So if somebody initially bids, you know, 50 ETH and the next guy bids 48 and then it goes all the way down and the last guy bids 30 ETH, then everyone that paid over 30 is going to get a rebate. Is that correct, Dandelion? Uh, Yep. I mean, just to to correct a, a little detail, it's actually we're auctioning 900 passes. Oh, 900. Okay. 900 on Wednesday. Uh, there are a few that are still saved for for kind of future projects TBD, um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a rebate on the Dutch auction, and you can either claim the rebate in full at the end of the auction, or during the auction you can apply your rebate towards getting more passes. Uh, so, cool. for example, if you show up and you're just like, yeah, I definitely want at least one pass, and I can afford 50 ETH, uh, so you buy a pass at 50. If the price were to get then down to say 25, you could just pick up another pass without needing to put any more ether in because after rebate you would already have enough for for a second pass cool that's that's awesome and then the 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 last thing i'll say that i think is very fascinating is there they talked about this on the they had a twitter spaces earlier today um but the concept of there is a there they are working on a mechanism to where if i can convince somebody that buys a mint pass so that the key is somebody has to have a mint pass but they're gonna they're gonna create a mechanism through which uh, there will be a marketplace, and somebody with a mint pass could decide to buy my piece from me and and mint it, uh, which is so cool. I think that's awesome. I don't know how often that'll happen, uh, but if but if somebody is able to create an absolute grail that would be you know somebody else feels like they couldn't replicate or get something close to, uh, there's the chance uh, that all of those that couldn't afford it. Uh, might be able to sell their output to a mint pass person, right? Yep, totally. Oh, that is that is so cool. Uh, so so don't give up hope if you don't win the auction, uh, or, or if you're not one of the winners that are selected. Uh, maybe you can convince, you know, Cosmo or uh, you know those big whales like Po out there that are going to buy a mint pass, right? And uh, <laughs> they might be able to buy it from you. Yep, exactly. Oh, this yeah, is so and cool. I think I think that uh, as you know, QQL, I see it as a first step towards making generative systems for parametric artists, as opposed to just like having the generative drop sort of happen on its own. Uh, and I think that there's so much like space to unfold here, and I think that the way that AI generated art is going is also kind of pointing in a similar direction, where being able to come up with seed phrases that produce really provocative and interesting art from like like you know what stable diffusion or like dolly style uh systems i think someday that'll that'll also create potentially really interesting nfts where you know you just like your seed is like five words and like it's going to produce some like piece of art and who are the people who can find five words that will produce a, a grail uh it'll be a fun game to play that's absolutely fascinating um well, I mean, I've, I have loved uh, chatting and learning from you. This has been amazing, especially, I mean, the QQL thing, 
uh, obviously nothing like this has been done before, I don't think. And and I love that, that we're pushing this space forward, that it feels innovative um, and, and that it is innovative and that you're including others in the work. I think that's so great. For those that are, uh, you know, looking to kind of start their journey, I always like to ask our guests, uh, what advice would you give somebody that's that's kind of just learning about uh, digital art, NFTs, uh, and collecting in general, specifically on the art side? Uh, what would you what advice would you give to people that are trying to learn or or trying to make decisions on on what they should purchase? What would you say to them? You know. I think that it's it's hard to give advice in a general sense in a way because everyone's journey is like different. Uh, and I think that like, you know, my, my personal approach uh, was I discovered generative art and I thought that it was cool. And I had like crypto, liquid crypto wealth from like a different project that I had been involved in. Uh, and so I just really went ham, you know, I showed up and I was just like, architects are fucking great. I'm going to like collect it. I'm just going to like keep like pushing by. Uh, that was how I got the, the cube. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily good advice. You know, I don't think that giving people the advice of like, oh yeah, NFTs, like just go ham and hopefully it will turn out that things you went ham on actually are like really good collections that are going to stick around for a while. Like, I think that was a little bit of like, like, you know, whether it was, was taste or dumb luck is left to uh, an exercise of interpretation by the viewer. Um, but I guess the, you know, the, the classic advice is like, I would say uh, if you think that collecting art is going to make you rich, then you are really, I think you're really setting yourself up for a lot of frustration and disappointment. Uh, and I think that for my part, you know, I did not, something that I've really like, like there's so much potential for regret in collecting NFTs. And there's the regret of the things you buy. And there's the regret of the things you don't buy, which can be even worse. Because if you buy something you don't want, you're only out money and maybe you can like sell it at a loss. And if you don't buy something that you later realize you desperately wanted, then you're kind of like, you just have, you have to hold that forever because you'll probably never get it back. Uh, and there are a couple of pieces for me that's like, ooh, yeah, I'll never get, I could have bought that and now I'll never have it ever, ever. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, those can be really difficult emotions. Like that can be a lot of pain. And I think that if you compound that pain by spending money that you can't readily afford to lose because you like thought that you were going to make money and then it turns out, you like are, did not make money and you were stuck with art that you don't actually believe in, like that's a pretty big F in the chat. Um, and so I think that, you know, depending on what kinds of regret you want to minimize, you know, are you more worried about the regret of missing things because you didn't have conviction when you found them and you believed in them? Or are you more worried about the regret of like having bunch of, bought a bunch of bags you no longer believe in? Like, I think that's a personal decision. Um, but I would say that buying buying art with the expectation that you are going to like, make a bunch of money uh, is almost always going to be a path to, uh, you know, the painful kind of learning. Uh, and also, you know, flipping, flipping seems like a really good idea, uh, but in practice, you're going to get tons of capital gains as you go. And statistically speaking, uh, you are probably going to reinvest your proceeds from flipping in the bear market, in the bull market into like even more bullish things until bear comes and then you just have a giant tax bill and like not much to show for it. Uh, so just, just be cautious, you know, be cautious and like price in, price in what the IRS is going to expect from you, like as you're going and don't get surprised by it at the end of the year. Thank you. Yeah. That sounds like what I did in 2021. So, you know, don't make all my mistakes. That's uh, it was painful, <laughs> but the one, yeah, I mean the, I, I really appreciate that advice. And, and obviously, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you enjoy what you're looking at, 
that's always that's that's the easiest form of utility in my opinion is art yeah. right so uh buy what you like is the only thing i can tell people because then i am like hey look you said that you liked it and so if you buy it then <laughs> there you go right like it all just comes down to how much you're willing to spend but uh really appreciate the time dandelion this has been fantastic uh go check out dandelion on twitter i believe he's, you're dandelion wist right yeah dandelion underscore wist uh check out archipelago.art i definitely need to be scrolling through there more often because it's much more nice much more nice a much more beautiful experience than uh than some of those other uh platforms out there and then uh yeah, everybody go vote on my QQL. You know, give me give me that. I I gotta I gotta get that that elephant submitted. I I did. I already submitted it. But uh, I'm excited to see where that contest leads. That's gonna be so fun. Yeah. Best of luck to your elephant node. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining. Take care. What a conversation. Thanks, Dandelion.